How many of you came with kids today? You got kids in the Keiki program? Yeah. So they're having a good time. They're doing like egg tosses and egg hunts and stuff like that, you know? So I thought, well, I mean, we have to have fun. So I brought some eggs. <laughs> and uh, I, thought, I thought we'd do, we'd do some egg toss over here. I need, I need a, a volunteer uh, on, on this side. Anyone? All right, let's play that differently. Who would like to volunteer the person next to you? <laughs> all right, all right. Come, yeah. come, come on, come on forward. Come on. So, both. So, you know, the idea, the idea of the egg talks is that you, you, you throw these eggs back and forth. There you go. No, I got another one for you. So the, the idea is that, um, I was going to say, half are hard-boiled, half are not, but I just broke one that isn't. So you got three to two chance to get hard-boiled versus not hard-boiled. Pick one. Oh, only, only one, because you're just going to toss oh, one back and forth. Yeah, all right. That's all right. You, I don't know. What's your name? Hi, Shelby. Welcome to church, Shelby. It's so nice to have you visit Blue Water. So, so you stand over there. You, I do know, I haven't seen in a while, so you kind of deserve it. <laughs> Shelby, totally innocent. All right, all right, go ahead. On the count of three. One, two, three. Oh. It's boiled? Oh, we'll pick another one. That's the game. Come on, come on. That's the game. Pick another one. Now you gotta now you gotta back up farther. Right by Quack and Taylor. Alright. All right, one more one more step. One more step. Ready? One, two, three, go. Oh, hard boiled. You guys are blessed. You're lucky. You got a hard-boiled one. All right, well done. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Wow, you crushed that. You, you kind of suck at this game, but we love you. Welcome back. Wow, so that one's dead. All right. All right. Easter story. We haven't, uh, we haven't read the Easter story. Uh, yet, so I thought maybe I'd read a version of it uh, from Luke 24, just just a little bit. <clears throat> and then uh, the idea is that when you read it, you have great joy. Now, I'm a very introverted person. I'm not very expressive, so I figured I need some cheerleaders uh, to, uh, to read this story, and uh, some extroverted, expressive cheerleaders. So I looked around the crowd, and I know just who to ask. I'm going to have Joanne on this side. And, and Samuel on this side. Come on, buddy. I think I have chosen well. These, these are going to be our Jesus cheerleaders today. Oh, no, they don't, they're not going to need a microphone. Yeah. 
So, so here we go. At the proper time, your job is to get the crowd to go crazy. All right? They're, they're, this is not going to be hard for you. you. You had flags a minute ago. Where are your flags? All right, here we go. I'm going to wait till Samuel finds his, uh, his YouTube feed. <laughs> On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Everybody go, hmm. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the one, I am, actually, I'm being pretty expressive. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm doing good. I'm fine. Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright... In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. That's right. That's right. Word. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. That's what I was looking for. Well done. All right. And Check. The sermon is going really well. The story goes on from there. Jesus uh, appears later to... Uh, the women and to the other disciples, he's got some uh, cool new uh, abilities. He can just like walk through walls and, and uh, uh, stuff like that. These are scripture studies uh, about Easter. Oh, it's different accounts of Easter in, the, in the, the various gospels in the Bible, and they're all really cool and just slightly different as people share their own personal recollections on what that day was like. Lots of different scripture studies uh, about Easter. And then there's the scripture that Jesus himself quoted that weekend. Uh, he himself suggested a scripture study for us. Did you know that? He quoted from, uh, from the Old Testament as he hung on the cross. I'll read you that section uh, from Mark 15. <clears throat> At the sixth hour, the darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice as he hung on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. The legend was that Elijah was going to come uh, as a herald for the Messiah and usher in 
uh, the new great age of Israel. Uh, he cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Uh, you will notice that uh, it's in a different language, right? So when the gospel writers wrote the gospel account, uh, they wrote in, uh, or at least the first versions we have, was in a, a Greek, uh, actually a pidgin Greek. Um, but this phrase was always preserved in the original Hebrew or Aramaic Hebrew uh, because it was a quotation from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew scriptures. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is actually the first line of a very famous psalm. All of the Jews present would have known that it was from Psalm 22. It was the thesis statement, the title line of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as Jesus hung there on the cross, he was encouraging everyone to consider Psalm 22. At least all, all the, the Jews that were present because they would have immediately recognized the quote. So I thought, well, let's just read Psalm 22 today. I'm going to put it on the big screen uh, behind us. And uh, you can follow along in your Bibles, on your smartphone Bibles. I'll just go through Psalm 22 pretty quickly. David wrote this psalm, and he wrote it roughly a thousand years before Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, or I cry out this day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. So you could understand as Jesus hung dying on the cross, hey God, why have you forsaken me? Why do things suck so badly? Well, that made sense, didn't it? because he looked so entirely forsaken. We studied last week about how forsaken the entire nation of Israel would have felt in this moment, seeing their promised savior, their hero, just humiliated and killed in front of everyone. Yet, the psalm continues, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, you are the praise of Israel, and you, our fathers, put their trust, they trusted you and you delivered them, like from Egypt, they cried out to you and were saved, and you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. It was literally going on as he talked, as the Romans and the Jewish leaders insulted him and jeered at him. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet... It's kind of a debate. You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breath, breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Really literally in Jesus' case, right? Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help me. He had been abandoned by his friends, as you know. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are at, uh, out of joint. That would have been literal crucifixion involved, a lot of dislocation of the bones. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth and lay me in the dust of death. It was at this moment when he quoted that 
Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that they gave him vinegar to drink because his mouth was so dry he could barely speak. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men have encircled me. This is interesting. They have pierced my hands and my feet. David wrote a thousand years before Christ. Romans hadn't invented Rome yet. <laughs> there was no such thing as crucifixion yet. But here, the prophetic psalmist is saying that this complainant will have his hands and feet pierced. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing, as the Roman guards cast lots for Jesus' clothing. It's an eerie, accurate prophecy, isn't it? But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly and help me. Deliver my life from the sword and my precious life from the power of dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And the Jews who are listening to Jesus on the cross quote this psalm. Maybe they did expect Elijah to come and to rescue him and to save him. Maybe they thought, it is going to happen after all. Here at the 11th hour, we're going to see some sort of amazing rescue. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you, you who fear the Lord. Praise him, all you descendants of Jacob. Honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the afflicted one. He's not hidden his face from him, has not has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise and the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Through this suffering that was going on here, somehow it would translate into the entire globe turning to the Lord. All the families of the nations, which is to say all the ethnic groups, will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Well, that's interesting, because for dead people to kneel, they must be resurrected. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. What do you think of that? The Easter psalm, it starts terribly, <laughs> and it ends with this revolution. Like, everybody in the world is going to hear about this event somehow and turn to the Lord, right? There was no way to predict that the tiny little Jewish sect whose leader was being crucified and humiliated on that day would really, within you know, a matter of centuries, become a global force. There was no way to predict it, but David predicted it with this psalm a thousand years before Jesus even lived. Kind of cool, right? It's almost as if it were all planned. You know? But even onlookers who knew this psalm by heart, hearing Jesus quote it, maybe would have been thrown off. Like maybe they expect him to be rescued in that moment by some manifestation of the prophet Elijah returning. But a few seconds after this, he breathed his last and died. It would have been so confusing. I mean, if this was a picture of victory, what an incredibly strange victory. Right? And so Jesus gave them this psalm to consider and to meditate upon, you know, it's like, 
Yeah, but in the end, this is going to change the entire earth. Do you think they put that together at the moment? No chance. No chance. They had to take it all loosely and to hold it by faith. They'd seen Jesus do miracles. Maybe they expected a miracle there. Maybe they expected him to be delivered from the cross. He wasn't. He died. The miracle, it turned out, would come a few days later. And then the miracles would continue for centuries afterwards. Did you ever have that happen in your life? You know, um, you kind of counted on God to come through for you in some way, expected a miracle, believed in a miracle, hoped in a miracle, didn't get it, experienced a death of some sort, maybe a literal death of someone you loved or a death of a dream or a death of part of your life that you had pursued and invested in, just cursed flat, right? Um, and then maybe years go by and you realize that it was a blessing in disguise, that it was sort of a long-term, long-cycle miracle. Anybody have any experiences like that? Yeah, I see some nodding heads. Man, those experiences are kind of awesome and they kind of stink because they're just so hard before they become so great, you know. There's death for, for a while and, and then, then the resurrection and then somehow it's redeemed, but you're just tired. <laughs> just tired when it all goes down. Um, here's my question for us today to consider uh, as we celebrate this Easter miracle. Why is resurrection necessary in God's plan? I mean, why did the victory have to be so strange? Why did, why did Jesus have to die? He just resurrected Lazarus a little while before. We talked about that last week, right? I mean, why did Jesus have to have to die on the cross. And you could answer like legalistically and say, well, according to the Old Testament sacrificial system, there needed to be some sort of sacrifice to you know, expiate sin and all that stuff. But no, God could design the universe any way he wanted to. Why did he design this into the universe? Why did he design resurrection as part of life? You know, why is there life and then resurrected life? Why is there like temporary life and then permanent life? What's that about? What, what, what was he trying to get at? Because once those were his design principles, <clears throat> we needed a death to intervene. Uh, right? Why do we have to die in order to live, do you suppose? Think about that. I'll give you eight seconds for brilliance. Go. Think about that. Why must we die to live? And that's kind of what Easter is about, I mean, the whole holiday. That's why Easter eggs are such a great symbol, right? I mean, it's sort of life, you know. Um, what do I mean by living? What do you mean by living, young man? John talks about, like, is it uh, this John, not the Gospel of John? Uh, am I talking about physical life or am I talking about really living, you know, true life, abundant life, as we Christians would say? And I will answer you and say yes. <laughs> Interrupt my sermon. <laughs> what you got, Samuel? 
the only way that Jesus could defeat death is by dying. Given death in the universe, uh, it's kind of cool that Jesus entered into it to blow it up from the inside. You know, like you can't conquer something until you experience something. Uh, and so there's that. That's beautiful. Joe's got an insight. Go, man. Death is the only recipe for our sin because death is a what? Death destroys what needs to die. It destroys the parts that need to die and not the parts that should go on living, I think. Probably. That's, that's, a, that's a good way to think about it. That's pretty insightful. You guys are bright. Yeah, Dave. So this is interesting. Death isn't just a state. Death is the ultimate fear for us. And the only way to conquer that fear is to show that you can beat it, right? And so you're not only conquering physical death. John, are you listening? You've got to listen to this. Like. <laughs> but you're conquering the, kind of the spirit of death and the terror and the anti-life that surrounds it. That's really interesting. Yeah, one more. Joe. This is interesting. There's a lot behind uh, Joe's answer. Uh, death. Uh, right now, we all have a death ahead of us. And knowing that, it teaches us to make the most of the life we're living currently, right? Because we don't have infinite time. So it forces you to actually make, say, hard decisions and sacrifices and stuff like that. And sacrifice is, is, is love. There is no love without sacrifice. There's no faith without risk. And so you can see why God at least inserted death into the universe for a while because it matures us, right? It sort of drives us interesting things. All right, Anne, I'll give you the last one. Death is the ultimate surrender, particularly if you choose it or if you enter it with faith. Right? And then death is a surrender uh, to the Lord. It's the ultimate statement of faith. Even this, I, I uh, trust the Lord to deliver me from it. All really good. I think my preaching is done. Thank you. Next time, you guys can just discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> and I don't have to embarrass people with egg tosses. <laughs> death is about removing limits. That's what death is. Right? And several of you said it in different ways. But death is about removing limits. You think about it, when Jesus was resurrected, right, he, he did things that he never did before right, and left death in his wake. So that was pretty cool. When you guys are children or if you have children, you give them limits that will be inappropriate once they get older. right? They need to grow beyond them. Right now I'm uh, teaching Jeremiah uh, to drive. He's 16 now. When he was a kid, he ran into the street, and I yelled at him. I got mad at him. You know, do you remember? Because I was a nice dad. But, you know, little boys can be rambunctious. Actually, he was a really cool little boy. But, you know, if they run into the street, you might even paddle there behind because you're running into the road when you're not ready is deadly. But now I'm giving him car keys and sending him into the road, right, where he could be a danger not just to himself but to everybody in the neighborhood. Right? Because that's appropriate now. The limits I used to impose on him 
are now, are now false and useless, right? So hopefully there will be a day when we no longer need death to encourage us to live fully, right? Where we just understand that life is to be full life, you know, real life, as, as Little John said. Um, we can't handle eternity until we grow up a little bit or until we grow out a little bit, until we grow out of death, I think is the Easter message that Jesus wants to get across. And really, he, he preached this message often during his ministry on earth. Right? He said, those who wish to find life must lose life. Right? You must pick up your cross daily and follow me. You must have that spirit of death about you, which is to say a willingness to go through different deaths in your life every day. Every day you must carry the cross, Jesus said. In one of his famous parables, he said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it produces nothing, right? But once it falls to the ground and dies, it produces manifold many times over. He's just woven this into the fabric of the universe. Death removes limits. It removes dimensions and increases dimensions afterwards. Death is actually a path to life, even though it is a great fear, even though it is suffering and sacrifice. Um, that's what death does for the faithful. That's what it did to Jesus, and that's why he said, oh, you've forsaken me, why? Well, so that the whole earth might be changed is ultimately the answer that the psalm gives. But man, what an experience. What a total death he died. What a total sacrifice he made. What a total humiliation that was to him. Stripped naked, pierced, hung on a pole, jeered at, abandoned. That was a heck of a death, people. That was a heck of a death. Oh, but what life it released afterwards. A life that the ends of the earth are feeling even now. You know, how bad have the deaths in your life been recently? A lot of deaths these past couple of years. You know, what kind of deaths have you experienced in your life? You know, have you lost loved ones? I lost at least four people I loved in the past year. Um, you know, you lost careers. How many of you lost dreams in the past 18 months or so? Had dreams? Just raise your hands. I just want to see. How many of you lost dreams in the past 18 months? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Deaths, man. Uh, and maybe those deaths have seemed diminishing to you. Maybe they just felt unbelievably costly. Maybe they still do, right? Maybe you feel forsaken. I kind of do. It's like, why'd you, why'd you take that? God, and you didn't have to do that, God. You didn't have to design my life this way. You didn't have to design the universe in such a way that death needed to be an integral part of it. He's a creative guy. He could have come up with something a heck of a lot easier. He could have come up with a model for your life that's a heck of a lot easier than it's been, believe me. He's a creative guy, you know? And you have probably suggested ways in which he can make your life easier. <laughs> and you're not even as smart as he is, all right? Um, but maybe in truth, the deaths that you have experienced have removed some limits for you. 
And let's just think about that as part of our Easter celebration. Maybe what's happened to you is that in some really important ways, you are freer than you've ever been. And maybe in some really important ways, if you just went for it, you could do more now than you could ever do before. Maybe. And I just want you to think about that. Because lest the seed falls to the ground and die, it produces nothing. But once it dies, once it's shed something, once it's let go of something, then it can produce abundantly. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's happened in your life. Maybe so. In which case, get out of the grave. Start walking through walls. They don't apply to you anymore. You know, start spreading uh, the good news. There is a greater, more flexible, more penetrating life for you this year than last. Easter. That's what that's about. This is a principle that God has worked into the universe. Life is designed for resurrection. Life is designed for resurrection. There is nothing at all alive in the universe that will not die. But it's designed for resurrection, which is to say it's designed for greater life on the other side. Right? Which means that full life, real life, as John said, requires real death. Like a real letting go. Like a major death sometimes. You know, at the end of your days on earth, there will be that. But while you live earth, I don't know, you might carry a cross daily. And if you have experienced a death, um, you have to go for it and you have to let it go. You have to let it go now. Now it's time for resurrection. Leave the bedclothes where they are. <laughs> It's not appropriate for you to be in the cave any longer. <clears throat> so on this Easter Sunday, I would just like to assure you this. You are not what you were. You're not what you were. Jesus, before he died, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome dude. Did some incredible stuff. Jesus, after he died, well... Now he, now he could go global. <laughs> he changed more lives after he died <laughs> than he ever changed before in spite of the way that, that he lived. How many lives can you change having taken your death and turned it into fruitfulness? You are not what you were. None of us are. None of us are. I'm going to give you eight seconds to be brilliant and to think about things that you need to let go of. Death that you need to experience fully and then walk away from. Ready, go.
super excited for the resurrection in your life, what do you think? How are you going to celebrate it? As well as Samuel and Joanne celebrate? Uh, well, that's what today is for, just to get your game on, to get your celebration on. Can I have the prayer ministry team come forward, please? Um, we have uh, moved the chairs back slightly, so we have extra room to pray uh, this morning. Uh, if you've come uh, with any sort of uh, need or desire to take to the Holy Spirit, then I invite you to come forward and uh, have these guys uh, pray with you. What they will do is uh, maybe lay a hand on your shoulder and just invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come. Sometimes the Lord will speak uh, to you or to you through them. If you come with a need for physical healing, maybe the Lord can take care of that. Um, and if you just need... Uh, some help letting go of something. Uh, pray that through with the Holy Spirit. Jesus did as he hung on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? He was praying, man. He was quoting one of his favorite scriptures. And maybe that's something that you need to do uh, in fellowship uh, as well. Can you stand with me, please? I encourage you to make the most of the opportunity for prayer and not leave the building before you give the Holy Spirit a shot at doing something cool for you. If you're brand new, come say hello to me before you take off. I'd love to give you a welcome blessing. If you want to stay around for a long time, there's going to be a barbecue lunch after the second service. Father God, I pray that you would perfect your agenda for each person today before they leave the room. And Father, we pray that our deaths would be thorough, that our life might be abundant. We pray that our deaths might be thorough so that our lives might be abundant. We pray, Lord, that our letting go would be free, that our lives could be free. Stir us, Holy Spirit. You have gathered us from the family of nations, and we say collectively in the voices of our hearts, He has done it. In Jesus' name, amen.